Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And long life is her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasance, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. This is the world of the this is the word, the word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everybody. We are supposed to break some records today, aren't we? Possibly 115, 116 degrees. Uh, text me if you want to go running later. We'll do some extreme sports together, okay? I don't know if you all caught this, but about a week and a half ago, this was in the L.A. Times they had an article that shed some light on anxiety in California, especially after the lockdown in March. And from that article, uh, I qu- I'll quote part of the article there, it said more than 44% of California adults reported levels of anxiety and gloom typically associated with diagnoses of generalized anxiety disorder, or major depressive disorder. The article went on to say that three in four California respondents between the ages of 18 and 29 reported, quote, not being able to stop or control worrying, unquote, for at least several of the previous seven days. And 71% reported feeling down depressed or hopeless during that time. Now, before March, before the pandemic, one in five Americans self-reported deep anxiety. And mental health providers estimated, even before March, that the number was probably closer to three in four uh, because people were living with an anxious condition that they could not differentiate from normal life. That was before a pandemic, and now mental health providers are realizing this massive wave of need for mental health in the coming months. Now, this is only observational data, but our community here at The Way doesn't have some sort of magical immunity from the weight of anxiety. It is my estimation that we are an anxious community. But we do have some unique hope and tools and healing to give real help in our midst, in the middle of anxiety. This is the last part of our series, O Anxious Heart. And unlike the other weeks of teaching, this part is going to consist of very practical tools. This is the application part of our teaching and our series. And and so the question that we have before us today is, how can we manage our anxious hearts and bodies in in the day-to-day? How can we do that? 
We need a quick reminder, though, the story of your anxiety, the story of my anxiety, or any other type of brokenness, really, uh, is not a story that stands by itself as its own story. It's a story that's always attached to God's story for the world. And so we need a reminder of the bigger story of what's happening, the bigger story of God's story. Uh, Many of you have seen this before. It's uh, a slide that describes the arc of God's story. So let's just begin in this arc, if going from left to right. God created. He created an anxiety-free world. It was full of beauty, security. It was full of unmanipulated love, carefree relating, and frustration-free work. Things worked the way they were supposed to. Now, we, in the first Adam, were convinced that God was holding back that there was something better than his ways, that maybe possibly he was stingy or mean. And so we really wanted to go our own way, to make our own decisions. And that introduced into creation, into the system, real anxiety. Now, we had now, because of that, we have to secure our own provision. Now, we searched for love outside of his own acceptance. Now, our relationships are constantly plagued with selfishness and manipulation. It became the default. Uh, We commonly call it sin. Because sin, properly defined in Hebrew, means missing the mark of perfection. If God standard is perfection, then sin is anything that misses that. So now we have this world, this creation, and we have broken people committing brokenness. They're fractured with themselves, and these broken people are being hurt by other broken people, and they're living in cultures and nations and systems of brokenness that are perpetuating more and more brokenness. Now this is interesting. All of humankind's proposed solutions and fixes are come from a place of brokenness. So even our fixes for the ills of humanity and our own fracturedness only perpetuates more and more brokenness. So Christ enters into our brokenness. Okay, He is not broken, but he is complete. He is perfect. And he provides Redemption. So, uh, where the first Adam took from the tree and lost his life, the second Adam, Christ, lost his own life on a tree to reverse the power of brokenness and sin. So now, we are in a period of time where Christ's work has what guaranteed our futures, but we wait in imperfection, waiting for the full completion of the story. And inside of that wait, so we're waiting, his church are participants in bringing micro-tastes of his redemption in our own lives, in our family lives, in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Uh, But we're longing, right? We're looking forward to the completion of the story, the end of the story, um, where everything we hate gets fixed. It becomes its full design. Now, you might think a lot of what I just said sounds like theological mumbo-jumbo, but I, I would submit this, is that you experience this cycle 
in a very miniature way all the time. So, so take a project at work, right? It starts with a brilliant idea. There's newness and possibility. Um, th this is uh, almost promising the fix, right? And then you enter into the project and people let you down and the system let you down and there are unknown variables that will throw a wrench into the system. And so there's a crisis. And in that crisis, the death of the very first idea comes into place. You realize, oh, it cannot be what the original idea is. And so there are sacrifices. And you have to ask this question, is this project worth saving? If it's worth saving, then we're going to have to do a lot of work. We're going to have to do a lot of renewal and restoration and fixing all the bugs. And so you fix it and you maintain it and you work through the frustration to the project's completion. That's a, that's a mini arc of that creation, fall, redemption, renewal, and restoration. Now, it, you can even see it in relationships. Follow the arc of a relationship, the newness, the disappointment, the working through, uh, the forgiveness, and then working it through to completion. God, God's big story is very important when we look at our story, especially when we look at our story with our anxious heart. Uh, where are we in God's story? Uh, we are experiencing what the real brokenness of sin. And not only that, our bodies are experiencing the brokenness, our minds, our relationships, our environments are under the same brokenness. Now, th this helps is because when we see where we are in God's story, we expect that there's going to be difficulty. We're going to assume this. Oh, we're not in creation or the garden. Oh, we're not at full restoration. We're not going to assume that our lives can't be broken or won't be broken and hurt by anxiety. So we know it's where our story is. This is where we are in God's story. It's supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen. Because of the cross, though, but because of the cross, we know that he has given us the power to beat back the darkness and begin the demolition remodel for the new creation. And, and we know that full wholeness is inevitable on the last day. So we have this hope looking forward. Now the flourishing of life in a broken world means that we're always fighting back the brokenness. Like we are participants. We're not letting it have the last word over our lives. Uh, Jesus, yes, he purchased our full construction, reconstruction at the end of days. Yes, that's true. And at the very same time, he purchased our ability to enter into his spirit-empowered project of patching up the holes one tiny hole at a time. So I, I want to touch on the variables that inform our anxiety uh, I, I tried to access uh, all the journals and studies within the last five years when I did my research because I wanted the freshest data on anxiety. That includes non-Christian sources and it also includes Christian sources. So, so if we believe, if we believe that the brokenness of sin really did impact all of God's creation, then we're going to see it really touched on all of these elements and categories as well. I, I want to briefly mention four categories for practical consideration. If we take the complexity of humanity seriously, 
and also the healing steps in the middle of our anxiousness. So there are uh, generally four contributors to anxiety. There are more, but I do think these are big buckets that you can put your hands on. One is environmental, the second is biological, the third is psychological, and the fourth is spiritual. So, So if we were to look at environmental causes and pressings that will push anxiety, uh, we have to look at environmental, and I mean that as circumstantial or situational or maybe even seasonal, like attached to just a certain time, uh, a chronological space and time. So, for example, um, it, you, could, you could have a job where you're experiencing conflict or frustration with a coworker or a boss, and uh, that's going to produce anxiety. Uh, grief is another one. There's going to be a real space of time where you are going to go through uh, loss and grieving that loss. And it doesn't happen all the time, and it doesn't always persist, but that can push a lot of anxiety. Uh, Relationally, you might have difficulty with a family member or a neighbor, and that will induce and cause great anxiety. Uh, There are times of transition, times of moving, Times of transition, even maybe for your children, starting a new stage or going off to college. Um, Transitions can cause anxiety. Uh, uh, Watching difficulty can cause anxiety. So uh, you can watch a spouse or a child of yours go through a painful difficulty and you yourself feel helpless to help. Uh, and, And so that can induce anxiety. Uh, Many of you know this, that uh, anxiety can be caused by seasonal events like uh, pregnancy or post-pregnancy. So when we say environmental causes to anxiety, uh, there is the world that is pressed upon us. A broken world is pressed on us, and it has real impact. And when we say that there are environmental causes to anxiety, we're recognizing that a broken world has real impact. Brokenness gets on us, too, because of that. So the the second contributor to anxiety is biological. And we we want to, and for example, we want to look at all the different things that affect our physical bodies in a real way so that anxiety is the result. Uh, Sleep or sleep deficit is a real example. Uh, It can be as common as you... uh, having a new sleeping situation, like you bought a new mattress, and that will affect your sleep, and that has real impact on your anxiety. It's exercise, physical exercise, um, either too much of it or the lack of it. Uh, Diet is huge. Uh, I mean, the research in the last 20 years on diet about sugars and carbs and starches and and proteins. Uh, the research on this is amazing on how it affects our body, how it affects our mental outlook. Uh, diet can truly affect your anxiety. Uh, there are other health markers uh, that we can point to. They don't explain everything, but high blood pressure, uh, 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 heart stress, many of these things. They contribute to us even thinking that we might have them can contribute to anxiety. Uh, the, the other example would be pharma, uh, pharmacological, like uh, medications that you take. Um, this, uh, what we recognize is that 
our bodies are complex systems and there are things going in our bodies that even our minds cannot control and so medications truly help. Now, if you were to ever visit a responsible physician, especially one that's kept abreast of the most current information, it's, it's good to, what, secure a genetic profile before a physician ever assigns you medications for anxiety or depression. Why is that? Because there are genetic profiles in studies that I read about since about April. Um, there are genetic profiles that show that there is a greater proclivity or tendency towards depression just based on your family genetic history. At the same time, there are, there's research that shows that there are, there's a genetic vulnerability to certain types of medication. For, so for some person A with a genetic profile, a certain medication would work well for anxiety. But on person B, it might do the opposite. It might increase it and do harm. So what we're saying is this. We're saying that our physical bodies, created by God no less, press on us too. They are also broken. The physical machines of our bodies are broken too. And that has real impact on our anxiety. And we're recognizing that. We want to say that. Um, there is biological brokenness as it pertains to the fall and sin entering into the system. And to, to not say that is to belittle the giant impact of sin on God's creation on every category of creation. Uh, the third category that informs and presses on uh, our anxiety is psychological. Now, all of us have a story. We have an experience. We have a memory. And, and part of that is our emotional memory. So we could have had a trauma traumatic or hurtful event in our past and those feelings are very, very real, and we can have an emotional memory even of the trauma without understanding all the particulars. And that becomes a part of our story. It becomes a part of our feelings when we interact with people and situations. There's memory recall. So sometimes that memory recall is voluntary, and sometimes it is involuntary. But we recall events that have been a part of our story and inform our strategies for coping and interacting with the world now. Uh, as I said before, there are anxious and genetic temperaments, uh, tendencies towards an anxious temperament. Now, understanding all of this in light of your family story, your story and your family story, it, it takes some patient understanding. It takes someone well-trained to ask the right questions and unpack our thoughts, why we do what we do, um, our family of origin. Some people commonly call this therapy. Now, by itself, it can only go so far. So I, I would agree with many of you who might say that. But together, together in concert with some of these other strategies of addressing anxiousness, it can truly help us. Well, one of the pieces of hope that we have, biologically and psychologically, is that we've discovered that we have somewhat of a, a quote-unquote plastic brains, and that there is an ability of our brains 
to retrain and rewire and refit pathways with new information. It takes discipline, it takes time, but it's possible. So there's real hope in these areas. Now, why does a minister, why does the preacher spend all his time mentioning these other categories? Like, like you almost want to say, look, buddy, stay in your lane, dude. Like, just give us the scriptures. All right? A, a, a word to those who would listen with wisdom. I would submit that all of these categories are quote-unquote spiritual. If Jesus is Lord over all of his creation, then, then all of these categories are broken by sin. In, in the same way, all of these categories are being renewed by Jesus too. So this is the story of creation, fall, redemption, renewal, and completion in every category of human existence. It shows us that we are complex. Having the image of God on us means that the physical matters, the emotional matters, uh, the, uh, the mind matters, the soul matters. We're saying all of this is quote-unquote spiritual. All of this informs his creations. Uh, I mentioned this, but I, I only I only really referenced uh, research in uh, on anxiety over the past five years. I used a, a a tool called PubMed, and it has over thirty million citations. And you can uh, winnow your search just on anxiety for journal uh, journal articles and entries and um, studies as well. And studies have shown overwhelming data when people choose one of these categories as the self-identified problem and they address it they report less anxiety so let's say they just address the biology diet exercise etc they report less anxiety now when in concert with another category so for example if you took pharmacology so medications plus counseling therapy, they report even less anxiety than before. Now, when all of these categories are addressed, including faith or spirituality, lo and behold, study after study confirms that the highest efficacy is when you address all of these elements. You give deference and respect to every single element. Now, doesn't that speak to the highly complex nature of who we are and who you are? Um, you can't be reduced to medication if you just picked one as being a simplistic answer. And you also can't ignore it. So, a good minister doesn't take a sermonic or a devotional approach to fixing all of your anxiety. Your theology... Your theology of Jesus over his creation needs to be big enough to incorporate all of life. So now that I've said that, I'm going to leave the bio work to the good physician. I'm going to leave the counseling work to the professional therapist. I'm going to leave you to wrestle with your situational environments. But as a minister, I want to talk to your soul work here, okay? And so I want to address the spiritual category as it relates to managing your heart in the face of anxiety. So 
there would be three areas I just want to cover very quickly, and there, these are practical helps in your day-to-day -day life, is one would be to stop. Two, it'd be to speak to God. Three, it would be to speak to your heart. So let's look at stop. When I say stop, now, when I say stillness, to be still, I would say this is going to be helpful. To be still and to slow your breathing and to purposely, intentionally, conscientiously start to relax the parts of your body. Now, that isn't some sort of new age voodoo. You, you know what's happening? It's telling your body to stop the fight, flight, freeze mechanics. It's telling them, telling it to stop. And it's saying, can you be quiet, utterly quiet for five minutes? Now, um, one of the companions that studies have seen to anxiety and ultimately depression, anxiety and depression run in parallel tracks. Um, one of the companions to anxiety and depression is ultimately uh, there will be so much fatigue, so much exhaustion that it will induce much sleeping. So that's high class depression could be sleeping all the time, being tired all the time. But the reason why they attach it to anxiety, because anxiety will show the uh, body's reaction to fight, flight, or freeze. And so, first of all, they see an anxiety is an overactivity, a distraction. They're wanting to know, your body's wanting to do something about a response of fear, but it doesn't know what to do. So it's continually going from one thing to another. At some point, your body doesn't have the resources to activate. And so what? It, become, it becomes fatigued to the point of exhaustion. So when we close our eyes and we breathe, um, it doesn't do this. This next week, try to close your eyes and breathe. And it doesn't matter what your frenetic brain runs around to. Um, can you watch your crazy thoughts just kind of float by you like clouds? Um, everything, the mundane, the serious, the anxious, the, the, the spiritual, whatever it is. Um, can, can, you, can you pay attention to what is happening? So when David says this in Psalm 46, he says this. He says, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You could rephrase what David said in Psalm 46, and you could say it in the negative. Um, be still and remind yourself again that you are not God. Be still and know it is not you who is holding up yourself or your family. Be still and know it is not you who will secure yourself. Be still and know it is not you who will fix your coworker or your spouse or your child. Be still and know it is not you who will hold the ship together. Be still and know that I am God. See, the practice of that stillness and then conscientiously making your body reflect the reality that is God's reality. What is God's reality? 
I am your God. You are my child. I am taking care of things. I am upholding all things. I am guiding the future just as I have the past. Now, for some of you, you might need to just take this piece from the sermon because it's going to be difficult to stop your body and your mind. It's going to be difficult to stop your ceaseless, agitated distractions from screen to screen to screen, from tablet to laptop to phone to big screen, back to tablet to phone to something else, whatever it is. It's going to take work. This is not easy to do. You may have to start with one minute, and you might have to work up to two, and then five, and then work up to ten. It is not an easy thing to do. But after we've been still, after we've watched our anxious thoughts float by, and we lock in on them, and we know them, uh, then we speak to God. It's another, it's another way of saying pray. But we speak to God. Now, this has been a reoccurring theme, I think, in the past six weeks when we've looked at our anxious hearts. We don't merely listen to our anxieties, right? Be still and watch them float by. The next step is to pray them as they are, not cleaned up, as they are to God. Now, this is what we don't do. We don't stuff them down. Right? You have anxiety. We don't stuff them down. We don't ignore them. We don't press them down stoically and unemotively with a brave face so we can seem calm to everybody. This strategy has actually gotten us precisely where we are with our anxiety. And our bodies are showing the extreme signs of fight, flight, freeze, while, while we deny it with our stoic face. So we don't do that. We also don't do this. We don't unload our anxieties and emotions on others before we unload them on God. See, that can be damaging and manipulative, and it can, we could inappropriately use other people. But God can handle our anxieties. He can. We're not going to burden others before we burden God. That's why we pray them. We pray them as unprocessed, unrefined, beautiful prayers but these are the best prayers. Okay, we, we've stopped. We are still. We understand the anxiousness as clouds floating by ours, our, our minds. We, we pray them. We speak them to God. And then the third step in your day-to-day -day is speaking to your heart. Now, as a minister, I, I think faith in Jesus Christ has a unique place in the healing of our anxiety. The spiritual component is not everything, as we've seen. There are many other components. But I do believe it has a unique place. So here's a brief picture of what is called uh, the anxiety cycle. So you have a situation or a problem that induces anxiety. And then we go from that and we have an internalized view of ourselves, of others, and of God. And usually those are negative. And then we will feel an emotion that is attached to that in internal view. And then uh, we will have a behavioral response. It might be fight, flight, or freeze. It could be 
uh, overworking. It could be numbing out on a screen. It could be overeating, overdrinking. It could be uh, sleeping. It could be all sorts of those things. And then um, that becomes a strategy, a life coping strategy that we take with us into the next problem or crisis. In fact, if it's bad enough, those strategies and coping techniques may even cause the next problem. So this is the anxious cycle that is referred to in both Christian therapists and also non-Christian therapists. Uh, so um, if, if we were to overlay, um, let's say, relationship on top of that anxiety cycle, um, you have a relational conflict and so you have internal thoughts and one of those internal thoughts might be if I mess up they will abandon me and that leads to feelings or emotions of fear and insecurity and then those lead to behaviors which could be uh, people pleasing or lying or escaping and then that becomes a strategy that you use for your next relational problem too also creates new problems so we know that we can't control all the problems. Living in a broken world, um, problems are standard. Brokenness is standard. So even in our best efforts to steer them away from problems, those problems will be there. The brokenness will happen. And so in this second part of the cycle, this internal talk and view, I believe Christians have an import, uh, this huge opportunity to speak into our own hearts, like David. So this is an example from Psalm 42. David says, why are you cast down on my soul? Uh, Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. Now, this is what he does. He goes inside, he goes internal. He finds the anxiety, the unrest, the turbulence, And then he asks the question, what's going on? Why are you like this? There's someone there. David is listening to his own heart. And then he speaks to his own heart. You notice that? He says, yo, yo, heart. Hey, David, you, you need a hope in God. You need a hope in God. Because you are hoping in a pile of other things that are really shaky. And he goes on in the psalm. Remember, remember the things that you've forgotten about who God is over your life. So we get like that, don't we? We get locked up in our own anxiousness, our own stress, and then what do we do? We begin to believe lies about ourselves and others in God. We begin to believe lies. And so so these are some practical helps for you here. Some of you are uh, data-driven and amateur scientists. I like that. I like that a lot. So so let's do something constructive here. Um, I want you to do this. Maybe in the next week, couple weeks, do this. Make a very, very simple chart. Make it on however you process information. It can be a pen and paper. It can be a laptop, phone, tablet, uh, Google Doc. However you process information, uh, just make four simple columns, okay? And column one is your date, because you want to track these things. Uh, Column two, label your emotion or your feeling. Okay, come up with a word that labels it. Column three will be to succinctly articulate the negative self-talk that you have. And then column four is 
for you to succinctly remind yourself about what is true about you because of Christ, because of his work and his person. So uh, I, I, I filled out a chart, okay? And I filled out a chart this past week, and we used to take a look at it. There's the dates. I, I recorded four days. And um, on, the, on the first day, so Monday, I felt discouragement. And that was the emotion and feeling. And then the negative thoughts that I was believing about myself were, I'm probably not going to change. I always fail at this certain thing. And, and then that fourth column, what did I put? I need to remember a truth. And it's Philippians 1, right? That he's going to finish the work in me. That's, that's not me. He is bringing me to wholeness. He's, he's gonna, he is going to end what he started, okay? He's faithful to complete that work. He saves completely. My life is on him, right? That's on him to figure out. So this, this counteracts that. I filled out some more. You can email me. I'll, 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 I'll I will, uh, or text me, and I will text or email you back as well. But but what we see there is that is speaking to your heart. Um, some of you have this jargon, and so I'll use this. It's being able to hear the good news again, right in the middle of our darkness in our lies, lies that we tell ourselves. It's reminding you of what is true. When what our own hearts are yelling and feeling something very different. So we stop, we be still. I'm going to know that you're God. I'm going to practice that. That is a good thing to practice. Practice being still. Try to get to 10 or 15 minutes and then pray afterwards. Um, the second is speaking to God. We pray our unprocessed um, thoughts, feelings, and anxieties to God. And the third is this, is beginning the discipline, beginning to show ourselves how we can counter our own lies with the truth of Scripture. We speak into our hearts and say, yo, heart, this is what is true. Now, I have a final little idea here is, uh, if you can, maybe unpack this, um, what you've discovered. Like, if you fill out a chart like this, a little journal chart, unpack what you discovered with someone like in your neighborhood group or a friend, and this is really simple. Right? You just tell them what you found out, tell them what you wrote down, and then ask them, what did you find out? Um, what, did, what I just described there is that our healing happens in the context of community and never alone. I, I hope this has been helpful today, and let's, let's, let's pray for the healing of our anxious hearts, okay? Our, our Father, um, you are... Lord over our circumstances and you are Lord over our bodies, you are Lord over our minds, you are Lord over our souls and you are the one, you are the one that is bringing all of ourself to completion and wholeness. Help us believe it. Help us walk into being participants of fighting back that darkness. Help us, help us we pray. Amen.